Heavenly Father, we thank you for the marvellous privilege it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are not alone in this room, but we have people around us who love you and love the church of God and want to come and hear from your word. Oh Lord, we thank you for the appetite you have given us in the past to gather in your name to hear from your word. And we pray that you would continue to give us appetite, help our stomachs to rumble in hunger for your word so that we can live in the name of Christ all the more fully as a result of hearing our Father speak. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've resumed our series in John's Gospel this morning. Uh, we took a, a fair break. Uh, we've been over to Hebrews, then we went back to Ruth, and we've had a few topical sermons in the midst of that. And so after some time, we now return to John chapter 5. And so I encourage you this morning, if you've got a black church Bible there, open it up to page 1054, page 1054, to John chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through to verse 9 this morning and seeing what we can learn from this gospel which was written so many years ago. And the thing that we're going to be confronted with is this narrative that is given from verses 1 through to verse 9 as Jesus comes and does something rather extraordinary. Jesus has been in Samaria speaking to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, and that's what we looked at last time we were looking at John's Gospel together. And, says, and so verse 1 of John chapter 5 opens with, Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So he's moved on from Samaria, and as he comes into Jerusalem, we see what happens to him. It says in verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So he comes in uh, to Jerusalem and he comes to the, through the sheep gate to this pool. And this pool is significant for the Jews. Why is that? Well, verse 3 tells us. Look with me at John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, why did these people lie there? Do they just like the water view of the pool there? No, there was an understanding that the pool had healing properties. We don't know all the details as to how this came about, but we understand that at least the man that Jesus is going to talk to believes in this. And there's actually an extra verse in older manuscripts, uh, younger, uh, not uh, younger manuscripts, you would call them, uh, that tries to make an explanation of this and. It's actually given to us in the margin of your Bibles that are in front of you this morning. If you drop down and uh, to the margin, you see a little uh, letter B and then a 3, and it says some less important manuscripts contain these words. Uh, so it picks up from the word that the lame, the paralyzed were there, and it says, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one in the pool after such, each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now, earlier manuscripts don't have this, and so we believe that this has been added at some point in church history to help people to understand what is going on in this text. And so then it's not authoritative, so we haven't got the word of God saying that an angel indeed used to do this. It was just a commonly held belief at the time that these waters had healing properties and some people believed it was an angel coming down and stirring the water. So Jesus comes along 
and he then meets this man who has been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 5 of John chapter 5, we read, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Jesus meets this man and then asks him a very simple question. Do you want to get well? He's been an invalid for 38 years. He hasn't been able to walk. And Jesus raises this issue with him. What does the man say? Well, verse 7 says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He says, I can't get in, so that's why I am still the way that I am. And then Jesus does this marvellous thing. He says, and We read in verse 8, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Very interesting incident that has been recorded us for us uh, today through the millennia of church history. And so we have to ask as we read a passage like this, what can we learn for us today? Is this helpful for us as we seek to live for God's glory 2,000 years on from this incident? And I think there is much that we can learn from a passage like this. And one thing in particular is the marvellous power of Jesus Christ. The marvellous power of Jesus Christ. Jesus does offer great power to this world. And one way that he offers great power to this world is to the physically sick. He gives hope to those who are unwell, whose bodies are not performing the way they would like them to. They're not functioning normally. And Jesus offers hope to the physically sick. He has power over physical sickness. And this is just one example in the Gospels of Jesus' great power over such sickness. And so that means that you can read a passage like this and have hope that Jesus can cure your cancer. He can help you with your illnesses. And they may be resolved by Christ's power. You can go to him in prayer and look to him and know that he indeed has the power to heal because a passage like this demonstrates that. Now, Jesus doesn't guarantee that every time someone comes to him and asks for physical healing that he will indeed grant it. And I, as I study the scriptures, tend to reflect upon these and believe that the miracles of Christ in the, that are recorded in the Gospels were particularly there, given at a particular time, to support the radical changes that Jesus was bringing to Judaism. We've got to understand that what Jesus was teaching was radically different from what the religious teachers were teaching in his day, and that's part of the reason why they killed him and put him to death on that cross. And so Jesus demonstrated his authority to teach the things that he was teaching by his miracles. And so we today have the scriptures to us to teach us what we are to believe about God and to believe about ourselves. And we don't need the miracles of Jesus to be done in our day and age to authenticate these words. He has already authenticated these words in many ways, and one of the ways was by his miracles 2,000 years ago. But I'm also not prepared to limit the power of Jesus Christ today. If you have cancer, you have reasonable ability to then go to God and ask for him to cure you. 
and he has that power. Now, he may not deem that that is what he will do for you, but there is a hope with any illness that you have that you can look to God for healing. But as we look at a passage like this, I think it doesn't just point us to the fact of Jesus' power to heal physically, but it also points us to the fact that Jesus has even greater display of his power in the spiritual healing that he brings. See, Christ's physical miracles point to Christ's far greater spiritual miracle. What is that? Regeneration. Changing people from being rebels against God in their sins to being part of the family of God, who love God. And we see this in other parts of the Bible where physical things are taken to point us to spiritual truths. And one example that's very similar to this, that's given to us in Mark chapter 2, is Jesus heals a paralytic there, different man, but he heals this paralytic, paralyzed man and he makes a point of pointing to the importance of the forgiveness of sins. He says to the man, not firstly get up and walk, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And that causes quite a disturbance amongst the religious leaders. And then Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And then he continues, but that you may know that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. How do you know Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sins? He tells a paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. That demonstrates that Jesus can heal the outward, but also the inward. He can heal the, physical, uh, the spiritual problem we have of sin. And Jesus does have the sin in focus in this miracle that happens in John chapter 5, not just in Mark chapter 2 with a different paralyzed man. How could we know this? Well, it's interesting what Jesus says to the man later on. In verse 14 of John 5, what does he say? What happens in verse 14? Little number 14 of John chapter 5, we read, Later Jesus found him, that's the paralyzed man, well, he's no longer paralyzed, but he finds him at the temple and said to him, See you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And we'll unpack a bit more of that next week of what's going on. But it's interesting that Jesus brings up the man's sin with him even after he has physically healed him. He recognises that there's a far greater problem that this man has. Not his physical inability to walk, but his sin problem. He's got a problem in his heart. And so I believe that this miracle that's given to us in John chapter 5 does demonstrate God's Christ's physical Power, his power to physically heal, but also his power to heal spiritually. And it's interesting the way he phrases the question to the man, do you want to get well? That word well can also be translated as sound or uncorrupted or corrected, which are all things that we would like to happen to our sinful states, that we would like to be corrected and uncorrupted. But why would Jesus be interested in spiritual Sickness, not just physical sickness. Why doesn't he just heal this man and then move on? Why is he concerned about sin? Well, spiritual sickness is greater. Why? 
because it often leads to physical sickness in itself. Spiritual sickness, our sins, often put us in the state of physical detriment as well. If you just think about sins like drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, hatred, jealousy, violence, if you engage in those sins, do you put yourself in bodily danger? How many people are in hospital even today because of last night and drunkenness? If we engage in sin, it often leads to physical problems. And so the sin problem is actually far greater than the physical problem. This man who's been an invalid for 38 years has a far greater problem. He has a far greater problem of sin because sin often leads to those physical problems. And even the guilt of sin, even knowing your sin and feeling ashamed about it can lead to bodily anguish. The Psalms often bring this through to us. Look with me now at Psalm 38. Psalm 38, which is found on page 554 of your church Bibles. Psalm 38, page 554, and I'll read from verse 1. And consider the man's spiritual state and then his physical state and the relationship between them. Psalm 38, verse 1. What do we read? O Lord... Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. He's aware of God's wrath and his body is physically impacted by it. Then he goes on, verse 5, My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Spiritual sickness can lead to bodily manifestation. If you are overwhelmed about your sin, your body will start to deteriorate. Your mind will be burdened. And I've seen this. I remember seeing a man, and he was, he was depressed, he was tired-looking, he was gaunt, he had lost weight, and I thought, he's got cancer or some serious illness. found out a few months later that he was involved in a very serious sin, and the shame was eating him up. We should never underestimate the problem of spiritual sickness. We get so caught up with the physical that we forget that the spiritual is far more important. And and you see different people in history as they understand this and what they do. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in London last century. And he was a, a very good doctor, a physician. And he was doing great things and people loved his ministry as a doctor, but he came to realise that he could do far greater good as a pastor for people than as a medical doctor. He understood that a lot of people's medical problems that he was seeing were directly related to spiritual problems. And if they just resolved their sin problem, a lot of their physical problems would go away. And for me, that was part of the reason I went into the ministry as well. I was in the health profession, and I recognised that I could do far greater good for mankind 
if I was to help them with their spiritual problems. And one of the other reasons that we see that spiritual sickness is far greater than physical sickness is because of the eternal pain it brings. It doesn't just bring pain in this life. It also brings pain for eternity. Ephesians 2 verse 3 from the Apostle Paul says, All all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. All of us have been there as people who crave following, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And what does Paul then say? Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Because of our sin, we are objects of God's wrath. And that means that our spiritual problem is far greater than any physical problem that we can have. But then Jesus comes along and ask that question that we read in John chapter 5. What's the question that he asks? He asks of this man in John chapter 5. In verse 6 he says, Do you want to get well? Now that seems like an interesting question to ask a sick person, particularly a seriously sick person. What seriously sick person doesn't want to get well? And so you may look at that question and go, I know Jesus is meant to be wise, but come on. Isn't that a waste of his breath? But you have to understand that not everybody wants to get well, even those who are physically sick. Think of this man. 38 years he hasn't been able to walk. Then if he walks, what's he going to do with his life? He's untrained. All he knows to do is beg. And he may have become quite comfortable with his disability. He's quite comfortable there. And he says, no one can help me get down. But has he actually sought to get somebody to help him get down into that water? Is he kind of comfortable lying there where a stream of people are coming past and they know that all these disabled people will be there and they give to those who beg? Disabled life may have become quite a long life habit for him and he's quite okay with it. And he knows that if he has to walk, well then, what's he going to do? Who's going to employ him? Someone who is at least 38 years old and has no skills other than begging. And I've seen this as well with people who are sick and they seem to enjoy their physical sickness. They don't want to get well. Some people, I think, wouldn't know what to do with themselves if they weren't sick anymore. They become professional patients and their life is consumed with their illness. And they're always talking about it and they're not sure what they would talk about if they didn't have the illness anymore. And they like the sympathy that people show them. Just like this man at this pool may have enjoyed the sympathy that people would show him because he's been 38 years in this condition. A long time, poor bloke, oh. And some people like that. And so when Jesus asks this question, do you want to get well? It's not a stupid question. It's a real question, understanding where people are at and that some people don't want to get well. And it's the same with spiritual sickness. A lot of people like their sin. They don't want to be out of a state of sin and misery. They may know that if they come to Christ, they will receive great blessing, that many things will be open to them that have never been opened before. They will be actually able to do right instead of wrong. But they also know that they lose the security of their sinful life. There may be particular sins that they commit that 
actually make their life a lot nicer to live in. And they don't want to give them up. They don't wish to be disturbed by Christ and actually have forgiveness of sins. They're quite comfortable, thank you very much. I know a man who was so used to being institutionalised by the prison system, who was so used to the prison system, that he used to commit crimes just to go back into prison, to have a roof over his head, three meals a day, and not have to worry about working. What does he like? He likes his sin. He's, he recognises, if I sin, life is better for me. And I don't want to get well. I don't want to lead my life of sin. I even knew a non-Christian that I used to witness to, an, an atheist friend of mine, and he... We used to talk about heaven and what would happen in heaven and that you'd be changed and your life of sin would be over and you'd be a different person. He said, yeah, exactly right, I'd be a different person. My sin is part of who I am. And if God is to change my mind so that I can't sin for the rest of eternity, that's not me in heaven anymore. It's some sort of robot that looks like me. He didn't want his sin taken away. When Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well, he says, no, thank you. I don't want to be changed. I like myself the way I am. So Christ asks you today, do you want to get well? Do you? We all have a problem with sin. It is a spiritual sickness that is terrible. It will lead to physical problems in this world and physical problems for the rest of eternity. Of pain and judgment and the wrath of God. Do you want to get well or do you want to stay in your sinful state, in your emptiness, your depression, your suffering, your fears? Do you like your sin too much for it to be removed? You have to understand this morning that you can't get well unless you see your sickness, your spiritual sickness, your sin in all its ugliness and want to change. Jesus asked the man a question, and he asked you that question today, and the, you have to ask yourself, do I want to get well? Because you won't change if you don't want to get well. But you may be saying, well, I don't know who to turn to. I do want to get well. I want to leave my life of sin behind. I want to start doing right. And like the man you may say here, in verse 7, I have no one to help me. You don't know who to turn to. Well, that's why John 5 was written, so that you would know that Jesus is the one that you can turn to. Turn to Christ. Christ has power to help and heal. And we see that in verse 8 and 9. What do we see in verse 8 and 9? Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The power of Christ has the ability to immediately cure the paralyzed man. The power of Christ heals this man immediately, but also completely. Immediately, the man gets up, which is incredible. When you consider he's been for 38 years lying there. Well, not necessarily there, but he hasn't walked for 38 years. Now, I, if you've got functioning legs this morning, and you go and you lie down for 38 years, you can't get up and walk. Your bones start to go weaker and weaker. Your muscles atrophy. You just don't have the physical ability to get up and walk, even if you did once. You've got to be very careful about how you look after your body. You have to use it, or you will lose it. And this man gets up immediately. 
after 38 years of not walking. The power of Christ. And then he's completely healed. He even picks up his mat, demonstrating that he's, he's not able to just pick up himself. He can pick up objects. He's completely healed. And Jesus then has power to heal you in your sinfulness immediately and completely. This morning, right now, if you've never come to Christ, if you come to him now, you are cleansed immediately from your sins. Past, present, future. All sin that you have committed in the past is cleansed, is wiped away and put to Jesus' account. All the sins you will commit today are wiped away and all the sins that you will commit tomorrow are wiped away. Jesus has power to immediately and completely cure you of your sin. Now, we still struggle as Christians with sin, but the consequences of our sin are wiped away. There is no more sin to our account. Instead, Jesus' work is attributed to our account and it is taken away. This is power, like no other power known to man. It's one thing to tell the lame to get up and walk. It's another thing to say your sins are forgiven. But Jesus has the ability to do both. And he has the ability to do it in your life as well. How do I know? Well, I know because the scriptures tell me. But I also know because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen the peace and the joy that comes of knowing that my sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. I can testify to the power of Christ in my life, that Christ has freed me from my infirmities, my sin, my helplessness, and I am now a complete child of God. I am whole, I am well again because of Christ. And there are many people in this room who can do the same. And it doesn't matter if you've been spiritually ill for 38 years or even longer. Christ can give immediate and complete healing and make you whole. So I encourage you this morning, if you've never come to Christ, get up in your mind and come to Christ today. Truly walk for the first time in your life. Ask Christ to make you walk. And he will do so if you come to him in repentance and faith. And if you are a Christian and you've come to Christ in the past and you are walking now because of his forgiveness that he has granted, do you continue to glory in Christ's healing power, that spiritual healing power? Do you remember what it was like to feel the shame and wretchedness of your sinful condition? You must remember that state. That at one point you were a sinner and you were a rebel against God and the, the shame that that brought to your heart. If you've never felt that and you call yourself a Christian, you're not a Christian. If you've never understood what it means to be a sinner, then you're not a Christian. A sinner is someone who has recognised that they are against God and the misery of their sin. They've seen the sinfulness of sin. And they've hated it. And then they've come to Christ. They've heard Christ say, do you want to get well? And they've stood up and walked with him. You must remember that state as a Christian and praise God for it. When was the last time you thanked God? You thanked Christ for powerfully making you whole. Do you regularly praise Christ for that day? That the great physician himself came 
and asked, do you want to get well, and you accepted his offer and he healed you, do you praise him for it? Or do you move on with your life and you never give a thought to that day when he raised you? There are many Christians over the centuries who have been very clear about making sure that they praise God regularly for that day. Isaac Watts was a hymn writer and he wrote that marvellous hymn with the chorus that says, At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my sin rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm rejoicing all the day. Are you someone who rejoices all the day for that day when the burden rolled away, when the burden of sin was lifted from your shoulders? Maybe you speak regularly to God about that day, but do you speak to others about that day as well? Do you testify to God's grace in your own life? Are you known as someone who shares your testimony regularly, as someone who can't help but talk about God saving you? Are you someone that loves to talk about the day that Christ stopped with you and looked at you and said, do you want to get well? Or would there be people in your life who know you very well, who would be absolutely flabbergasted to know that you are a child of God? Because they never hear you talk about that day. You never share with others about Christ's powerful work that he did many years ago, but he has also done in your life. We as Christians must never forget what we once were and what we now are in Christ. And so I encourage you this morning, as you look at a passage like this, never cease to sing Christ's praises recognising his powerful work and never cease to tell others about it as well so that they too can get up and walk as they've never done before, that they too can have forgiveness of sins and enjoy eternal life with Jesus in heaven rather than eternal damnation. Let us come to our God now. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way your word displays Christ's power in so many different ways. Lord, we thank you for this passage this morning that points us to Christ's power over physical illness. But we thank you that it also points us to the Christ's power over spiritual illness, which is of far greater significance. Lord, we pray that we would not be people who are consumed with the physical and forget the spiritual. Lord, we pray that we may recognise that spiritual matters are far more important than the physical. Lord, we pray that if if there is someone in this room who has not said to Jesus, I want to get well, and come to him in repentance and faith, we pray that this day may be that day where you stop with them and they rise and walk with you for the first time. And Lord, we pray for the Christians in this room, for people who have been walking with you for even decades. Oh Lord, we pray that you would never take from our minds the memory of that time where we recognised our sinfulness, the ugliness of our sin, and then you wiped it away. You took it upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And now we walk free 
with him. Help us to never forget to praise you for it. And help us tell others, may we not be ashamed of that day, but may it be central to our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.